And uh, the series, we're titling it The Road, to, the Road, and today specifically The Road to Freedom. Life is said to be a journey, and there are many roads that we travel in life when we're on this journey. But Jesus' road on earth led him to the cross that our road might lead us to life, and we can fully trust him. I heard about a group of people that were on an airplane, and a computerized voice came over the intercom system and announced, you are about to embark on the first ever completely computerized automated flight. You have nothing to fear because nothing will go wrong, go wrong, go wrong, go wrong, go wrong. Well, we really have nothing to fear with Jesus. And in this story, you're going to see in some of his preparations, they almost seem far-fetched. We're supposed to do what? Uh, we might would be tempted to ask if we had been in the disciples' shoes. Our freedom from sin is a gift from God that elicits a response from every one of us. The first five verses tell us about the freedom and how it took preparation. Said when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you anything, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. Jerusalem was a very special city. It is called the city of the great king. And for Jesus to come into the holy city in a parade fashion was a declaration of royalty. But his was a kingship of peace. His was a a battle of freedom. And he is the king, not only of that city, but every city on earth and in heaven. The Mount of Olives overlooked the new temple with a spectacular view across a deep ravine of the Kidron Valley. And as they came in and they could see that temple, it was magnificent. Jerusalem had grown from a modest military fortress to a world-class city. I read that we, we had two million people were there, and at Passover, the law had required that everybody would come to Jerusalem to prepare to take this special Passover feast. Year after year, the Passover feast had been celebrated as a constant reminder to God's chosen people of how he freed them from Egyptian bondage. You remember the plagues uh, that we read about in the Old Testament of the Bible that tell us about how, how God brought plague after plague after plague Uh, on Pharaoh so that Pharaoh would lighten up and would let the Israelites go into freedom. And it was that last plague, the death of the firstborn, death of the firstborn sons of every home, death of the firstborn animal in every barn. There was great weeping and wailing throughout Egypt. But for every home of the followers of God, those that had smeared on their door frames the blood of of a lamb using a hyssop branch, when they smeared that blood, as as the, the wave of death came across their community, their homes would be passed over, and they wouldn't experience the death of a firstborn. 
And so this Passover feast, this Passover time of the year, was a constant reminder of what God had done and could do again. And you and I know that Jesus is our Passover lamb. He is the lamb of God who has come to bring us freedom from sin and Satan's bondage. Jerusalem was a beautiful place. I've read that there were fancy pools and springs that brought fresh water from seven miles away. I mean, given their, um, you know, their engineering of their day to bring water seven miles away and bring fresh spring water filled with minerals and, and so sweet to drink made it a very special place. It was as if it was heaven on earth. Psalm 48, verses 1 and 2 say, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. Bethphage is just east of Jerusalem on the southeast slope of the Mount of Olives. And it is some 20, almost 2,700 feet above sea level. Scripture predicted Jesus' arrival would be in this way. Long before he ever came, it was said that he'd be riding on a baby donkey. So unique and yet so accurately predicted. Zechariah 9, 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Very specific. Genesis 49.11 said, Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture is the blood of grapes. Jesus is the way into salvation. And he has prepared it for us. John 3.16 said that, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that all who believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God the Father has prepared salvation for us through the blood of his Son, Jesus. There is nothing you can do to improve upon that plan. There is no list of, of good works, not enough that you could possibly do, that could earn you your salvation. Jesus really did pay it all. And we are saved because of the redemption that comes from his blood. I've said it before, I could not die for your sins and you could not die for mine because neither one of us is perfect. No one on earth fit that bill. Everyone had fallen short and had sinned against God. And so Jesus, who was perfect, who knew no sin, left the perfection of heaven and he came to earth that we celebrate every Christmas. He lived among us for 33 years and then he died sacrificially, a sin offering, shedding his blood so that you and I could one day stand before God as if we had never sinned. And far more than just our soul salvation and fire insurance and a free ticket to heaven, he came so that we could be followers of him in his kingdom, that we could know Jesus as king. And that's a powerful thing. He has prepared the way, and we see that throughout the Easter story. Even this colt that he was to ride on was prepared. Can you imagine being his disciples? He's going to send two of you to go and to get this baby donkey. And he's going to tell you, you know, don't worry about it. When you go, you're going to find a donkey. And and we actually have the baby donkey and the mother donkey in Matthew's gospel. 
And he says, bring them to me. Now, if someone asks you uh, why you're doing this, you just tell them that the, the master has need of it. And they'll say, okay, no problem. Yeah. But it's exactly, it unfolded exactly as he said it would. The second thing that we see in verses 6 through 9 is that freedom causes celebration. Freedom causes celebration. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! As I said, Matthew's the only one of the gospel writers that tells us that it was more than just the colt. The colt is the most significant part of of the story, though, Jesus had to ride in on a, a baby donkey that had never been ridden, never been broken before. And Matthew lets us know that it wasn't just the baby donkey, but the mother came along with it. And I love that we get from the different gospel writers uh, a variety of details that we can merge together into one true story of what happened. And here comes this baby donkey and its mother, and Jesus is riding in victoriously. Um, The colt, as I said, is the one that fulfills the Scripture, and it has such a great significance to it because not only did this colt submit to Jesus, and those of you who have grown up around horses or donkeys, you know that they have to be broken and they have to be trained and so forth. You can't just get on, a, on one that's not ready and expect it to, to take you where you need to go. And, and yet this donkey submitted to Jesus. Yes, as the, as the creator of it, but also there is in this image here the purity of this, of this animal that's never been used before, saved for this one purpose. I imagine that uh, it would be complicated by the fact that Jerusalem would be a very noisy city. Two million people are living there, and not only is it you know, a, a crowded city, but you've got, you've got everybody coming there for, to observe Passover, and you've got this crowd of people that's following Jesus, and they're shouting, you know, Hosanna in the highest to him as he's coming through. This would have startled most animals, even if they had been broken, let alone one that had not. There was comfort, no doubt, by having its mother riding alongside of, of it. But yet this donkey is part of the, of the story for the ages. This young donkey, unbridled, while the young donkey uh, fulfilled Scripture, the cloaks in the Psalms were signs of a king being anointed. Uh, it says that the people... Uh, were taking their cloaks and were laying them not only across the, both the mother donkey and the, and the baby donkey, the baby donkey Jesus is going to ride on, but both vehicles are prepared for this triumphal entry. But they're also laying them across the pathway that the donkey is going to ride across. Now that's an act of worship right there. That is an incredible celebration. Freedom causes celebration, and celebration was breaking out. I mean, to take your jacket off and lay it out on the street, 
that the hooves of the donkey could, could walk on them was a sign of complete submission, a complete honor and a privilege to be able to say, this is our king. Jesus gives us a, a new way to handle fame. You ever battle with, with popularity? Maybe in school things go really well with the game or the production the track meet or whatever it is that you're doing, and you get the applause of men. And sometimes there's false humility. Oh, no, it really wasn't that good. We'll say it's the temptation. Sometimes maybe you're in an annual review at work and and you're going over your goals and things that you have accomplished and and it's almost embarrassing because you know you've done so well and and your supervisor is giving you such good marks on everything and sometimes it's really hard. Uh, it's, sometimes it's harder to take compliments than it is to take criticism sometimes because we don't feel we don't feel worthy. <clears throat> And sometimes it kind of goes to our heads a little bit. We see that a lot today when we look at pro athletes and how they behave with wealth and with fame or with musical artists or actors on television and politicians, and it kind of goes to, goes to their head. We don't seem to know how to handle that. I think that's why so many of the so-called child stars end up in such terrible shape in their young adult years is because they got too much fame that was never meant to be put on mere human beings. Well, here is the king of all creation riding to town, and he has chose not a huge white war horse, but he's coming in on a humble donkey, a burden, a beast of burden, and not just a donkey, but a baby one at that. It's the opposite of what we might would expect. And as the people are shouting, Hosanna, it says that they are following him and they're preceding him. They're in front of him and they're behind him. And they're shouting, Hosanna in the highest as he's coming through this, this victorious parade. And he is so humble. As I said earlier, he is... A king of, of peace, not a king of, of uh, a power trip. And he's surrounded not by celebrities and politicians, but by fishermen, Galileans, a tax collector. Someone wrote, finally the common folks had a parade. And Jesus was uh, the marshal of the parade. Uh, there was not more than two miles distance And Jesus had walked and walked and walked an awful lot. But the purpose of the young donkey was to fulfill this scripture as part of this triumph. And the cloaks being laid down across this path is a humble show of honor and worship. This was a red carpet moment. And to have the hooves of the young donkey carrying the Lord walking across their cloaks was a privilege to them. And that's worship. What cloaks do you need to lay down before the Lord? What signs of, of achievement and of wealth today cloud your view and, and tempt you to want to be the God of your own throne, the king of your own throne? Is there anything in your life that is competing with the attention that only belongs to God? I say get rid of it. Whatever it is, it's not worth it. And cast that down and, and let the king of peace trample right across it. In 2 Kings 9, people were laying their cloaks on the bare steps as Jehu was anointed as king. And the Hebrew people recognized very clearly what they were doing. They are saying, this is our modern-day king. This is the promised Messiah. This is the one who has come. This is the one from the line of David. And they are honoring him as their king. 
Palm branches were a symbol of nationalism and of victory. It was the pom-pom, basically. If you were a cheerleader and you were supporting your, your nation's victory over another nation, it was palm branches that you would cut off and you would wave. Much like a bald eagle in America is our sign of freedom and of power and of strength. When I see a bald eagle, I mean, I, I pull my car off the side of the road, turn the hazard lights on, and I'm out taking pictures and video of it. I've not seen very many. I think I've had five bald eagle sightings in my life, and three of them have been right here at Dover. Right here at 32, one just north of Advance, and one down further in Jamestown, closer to I-74. And when I see a bald eagle, I mean the patriotism in me just, you know, swells up. And a palm branch, that's what that was for, for these folks. It wasn't just a sign of spring. They didn't just smell good. They didn't just, you know, they weren't good to just fan yourself with. No, they were a sign of saying, we're going to win now. We're victorious. We've got us a true champion here, and his name is Jesus. He is our modern-day Moses, and he's going to give us the freedom that we've been wanting from all this Roman oppression, and Hosanna in the highest. And Hosanna is a Hebrew word that means, oh, save, or save now, or he saves, or please save. Jesus is the Davidic Messiah, and the people recognize him as being the one. Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26 says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Mark 11, 11 says that Jesus went into the temple to look around when he arrived. It was late, and he went on to Bethany with the twelve. Perhaps they stayed at Lazarus's home, who, who he had just raised from the dead, Lazarus and Martha and Mary. Um, but Jesus was not like any other worshiper or pilgrim coming to Jerusalem to observe the Passover, because he is the Passover lamb. And he was coming to inspect his temple. Jesus prepared this young donkey. Make no mistake about it. Mark tells us that someone did actually ask that uh, the disciples what they were doing. And when they came to get the colt, they gave the answer Jesus provided them to give. And, and it totally satisfied the question. Luke 19, 39 and 40 says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. That famous line, the stones will cry out if these do not worship me. Nelson's Illustrated Bible Commentary says, Jesus openly rides into Jerusalem as king. The point's obvious that Jesus Christ is presenting himself to Israel as the Messiah and the King. And it's interesting to contemplate that this may be the exact day Daniel had prophesied, 173,880 days from the day the decree of Artaxerxes went forth, Daniel 9.25. Luke 19.42 mentions your day. Your day. This was the day. This was the entry. This was triumph. This was victory. The law, as spelled out in Deuteronomy 16, required that Passover be celebrated in Jerusalem, that every Jewish male participate annually in the festival, and that each worshiper offer animal sacrifices. And Jesus is the Lamb. Sin 
Sin is a heart issue that gets carried out through the mind. Sin is a heart issue that gets carried out through the mind. And so often, I don't think we we recognize that. Sometimes as parents, maybe we don't recognize it as we're rearing our own children. And certainly as a society, when you see on the news, we always try to fix things, it seems like, with Band-Aids, you know. We don't look at what's really the problem. We just think we just need tougher laws and tougher laws. We can legislate this thing and get control of it. But it's a heart issue. And it's a me, 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 my, 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 more, more, more kind of mentality that is really in here, not up here. And when the heart is not right, the mind is the one that carries it out. But then we always think of it as as a thinking problem when it's more of a heart issue. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. It's easy to tempt ourselves, isn't it? To open ourselves up to to the things that we are the weakest around. Maybe, maybe you're on a diet and you decide you're not going to eat any candy. <laughs> and you say, I'm not even going to drive past the grocery store where the candy is. But then the next day you decide, well, it doesn't hurt to drive past the store. <laughs> maybe the next day you go, you go in the store, but you say, I'm not going to go down the candy aisle. But then the next time you're at the store, you do go down the candy aisle. And you say, well, what does it hurt to at least look at it? <laughs> I don't have to buy any of it. I'm not going to eat it. No harm in looking. And so we go by and we look at it. And then well, it's not too long before we go in. We actually start picking up the bags and, and start looking. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine what it would be like to eat this delicious chocolate covered? Mm. And we start imagining ourselves eating. But no, 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 no. We're not going to do this. You know, kind of thing. And before long, we find ourselves finishing our first piece of candy. And we think, how did this happen to me? It's a heart issue. Because we are all broken and we're all tempted to sin and we all give in to those things. None of us is, is righteous, not even one. I heard about a little boy that was misbehaving in church. This is back in the days when parents could give a good pinch. And his mom reached up and, and she told him, she said, you need to sit down. And he, uh-uh. and he kept standing and she was getting really frustrated. I said, sit down. Uh-uh. You know, can I think? And eventually she said, if you don't sit down. And so she reached up and she gave a good pinch and she brought him down. And, oh, he was mad. He crossed his arms and he looked up at his mom and he said, I'm still standing on the inside. <laughs> Because it's a heart issue. Heard about a teenage boy that was uh, wanting to borrow the family car in the worst way. But his dad had been on him for a long time. He really felt like he needed to cut his hair. And he told him, he says, you're not going to drive the car until you get your hair cut. And the, little, the boy was sitting in church with his dad one day. And over in the, in the wall, he saw a picture of Jesus there on the wall. And Jesus had this beautiful, long, flowing hair. And he got a smile on his face. And he looked up at his dad and he goes, Dad? Jesus had long hair. His dad said, he sure did, son, and he walked everywhere he went, and so will you. (laughs) You're not going to tell me what to do, right? We We don't like that. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and all fallen short of the glory of God. And the problem with that, if you skip over three chapters to the same verse, Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is what? Death. And not physical death necessarily where the, the soul leaves the body and we, you know, we go to the graveyard with flowers kind of death. But the separation of the soul from God for eternity, the so-called second death. And it's far worse. And the wages, what we've earned, what we deserve, what we should get is separation from God for all eternity. 
But there's that word, B-U-T, but. Beautiful word. If you're comfortable circling words in your Bible, circle that one. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And a gift you don't deserve. (laughs) You did not earn. You just get if you're humble enough to receive it. And it's nice to accompany it with a thank you. And it's all because of Jesus going in to give us freedom from Satan and sin. And he did it on the cross for us. Freedom demands an answer, a response. Verses 10 through 11 says, And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is a mixed audience. Because you've got those that are following Jesus because they know the prophecies and they believe he's the one and their hearts are in the right place and they're genuinely sold out and they're genuinely worshiping him. You've also got the, the crowd, the onlookers, so to speak, that are just wanting to see a good show or have their immediate needs met. Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead and it got everyone's attention. I tell you what, I did not ever see this somehow or another, before studying for today's message. But John 12, 9 through 11 says, When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And then verse 10 says, So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. I did not ever remember reading that before. I don't know why it never jumped out at me. I guess because obviously Jesus is the star of the show and I'm focusing on him. But Lazarus, who had just been raised from the dead, you talk about an object lesson and he couldn't go anywhere either and there were death threats against him. Because if you could just get rid of Lazarus, he's one of the reasons that everybody is all astir. The word for stirred or moved is the word where we get uh, for seismology, where we talk about the study of earthquakes, and, and, and they were all stirred up. Not in a good kind of way. I mean, there are the ones going before and after Jesus, and they're shouting, Hosanna in the highest, save us! Save us! Save us now! Waving their palm branches. But there were people that were stirred because they were just afraid. A few weeks ago, when we talked about Jesus casting the demons out of the man who had been demon-possessed, And after everyone had come and seen this man sitting up in his right mind, well-clothed, in a good place, it said they begged Jesus to leave them. They were afraid of the demons. And if he had more authority and more power than the demons, they were really afraid of him. They did not understand or recognize that Jesus uh, was there as their savior, not as their threat. He's more than a prophet coming in the name of Yahweh, He is God himself. Earlier in chapter 16, Matthew said that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says, you're right. You're a rock. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And and Matthew's already established that Jesus is the the Messiah. Romans 5.8 tells us of God's love. The same love that John 3.16 is talking about that motivated him to send Jesus to the earth. In Romans 5.8, it says that God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Not once we got good enough, not once we begged enough, not once we proved ourselves worthy, not once we repented enough. I mean, while we were still sinners, he came and he gave that great gift. I heard about uh, a, a little boy that was waiting for a bus, not at the bus stop. There was a, a fellow on a park bench looking at this boy, and he said, what you doing, Sonny? He said, I'm waiting on the school, on the, on not the school, I'm waiting on the, the public bus that's going to come by here, and I'm going to catch it. And he goes, this isn't the bus stop. You need to go down to the end of the street, take a turn, go down a little ways, and you'll find the bus stop down there. He goes, no, I'll just wait here. The bus will pick me up. And the man kind of shook his head and thought, stubborn kid. A little bit later, here comes the, you know, the, the community bus, comes through town and, and comes right up to where the boy is, stops, throws open the door, and the little boy starts to go up the steps. And as he's heading up the steps, he turns around and he says, Mr., my dad is the bus driver. <laughs> it makes all the difference in the world. And our Heavenly Father has given us a path that leads to freedom because Jesus has prepared the way. And when you know who he is, it's cause to celebrate. That's why we gather here every week and we sing praises to him. It's why we we sacrifice our tithes and our offerings to him. It's why we go and we tell people everywhere about Jesus. It's why we we worship him by putting ourselves last and others first. It's because he's worthy of that celebration. And hopefully... Every one of us, if we haven't already done so, will give serious thought to giving a response to the gift he has given by accepting him and uh, acknowledging that he is our Savior, repenting and turning our lives over to him, saying, I'm going to die to myself and live for him. I'm going to live for him and do what, he, what will please him for and to express that through baptism into his death, burial, and resurrection. We want to give you that opportunity to respond in that way this morning as we stand. And as we sing.